They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our low effort, low quality podcast. This is your special guest host, Liz Brunig, and this is my husband, Matt. Hello, everyone. Uh, happy Fourth of July in advance. That holiday is coming up. Yes, in um, three days. Well, pr- we'll probably get this up after midnight. So two, yeah, two days. Two days. Two days. Uh, hope you enjoy the fireworks. Do the spaghettio meme. Uh, yeah, you got to remember the, the patriotic spaghetti-o. The patriotic spaghetti-o. Uh, at Iwo Jima. And is the hole in the spaghetti-o his mouth? Uh, nobody knows. Is that a tooth? I, you know, it's sort hmm. of confusing. But yeah, it's really, it's kind of troubling to think about. I'm going to put the spaghetti-o as I almost never do episode art. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the good podcasts, they have like a different picture for each episode. Yeah, we don't have time for that. No, 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 slow effort. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put the spaghetti in the episode art. So wow, the rare that high out. effort episode. Check it out in your, your podcast app or whatever. Um, Damn. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it won't get sued. I don't know what the... I mean, you, you know, getting... It's fair use. It's fair use, guys. I'm doing fair use. You you getting sued by SpaghettiOs would be really funny. It would be like oh, a, yeah, a yeah, great yeah. timeline in 2020. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely um, go fund me a legal defense fund on that one. Oh, I feel like everyone would donate to that because it'd be funny as shit to see you fight with the SpaghettiOs. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that um, pro se, but also I'm a lawyer. So is it pro se? No what one knows. What does pro se? Is that when the pros say... That's, uh, you know, I think uh, the Latin would be for yourself or something, mm, but essentially mm. representing yourself, mm, uh, mm. Uh, which you're allowed to do even if you're not a lawyer. Do you guys know that Matt uh, knows Latin? Uh, I took three yeah. years of Latin. Matt took the Latin. I'm not shitting you. I right. think it, it appeals to him because it's in all caps with no punctuation. I t- well, that's not how they... That's not how they teach it. They, they've kind of, you know. They water it down. Yeah, I mean, uh, they do tell you that, you know, if you look at like the old writing, it's not just that it's in all caps and no punctuation. Well, there's no spaces. That <laughs> kicks ass. It's not even no commas and no yeah. periods. There's no spaces. Yeah. So it's just one long word. Yeah. Figure it out, bitch. <laughs> That's back when reading meant something. But the, Yeah. Well, I guess if, if, if you're just like carving stuff into tablets, I mean, I don't know. I guess they had paper too or something, yeah, yeah, but they did. They, there wasn't a whole lot of writing going on, I guess. Um, but Actually, they were, there was widespread literacy. That's why there's so much fucking graffiti. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember very much of, of yeah. it. I do remember there was this... Um, MS-DOS-based Latin dictionary Yeah, that was sort of like, it was the ultimate, you know, like if you wanted to cheat in Latin class. Uh-huh. Because otherwise, you you know, what the fuck do you, how do you, you know, if you're any other language, there's other stuff. You can go get a Spanish like cheat, not a cheat guide, but you can get Spanish dictionaries. You sure. can, you, these days you would just go on to Google, I guess, and use Google Translate. Yeah. That wasn't 
cap- that wasn't possible at the time. I don't know if Google does Latin. Yeah, it does. Um, Not well. But there was this thing. It was just called Words. Okay. Words.exe. That was the name of the program. Did you name it? Some, yeah, some some someone of of my sort what is that my, sort what is that <laughs> of my of my uh, clan must have made this and it would give you the whole thing it would show you the like full like whatever declension and conjugation and i mean it was unbelievable you would just type in the word yeah. and it would it, i mean it was it was amazing some dude sitting there in a dark room rocking back and forth no effort to commercialize this yeah just like I don't have, I'm not gonna do anything to. It's just gonna be a command line program. I don't have the interest in making like a graphical interface or any. It just, just, just it is what it is. It was command line. Yeah, it was. Oh, a, that's what I meant by it. So, DOS. so basically, no one else but you could use this. thing. No, everyone in the lab they would do enough to figure out how to use. Oh, okay. This program. I mean, it wasn't hard to use it. It's yeah. just there was no interface. Did you have a favorite Latin word? No. Okay. Uh, moving on. I remember one time on Twitter, uh, one of these trad guys was trying to use uh, Latin, uh, and a priest corrected him and posted the right Latin and then said, now shut up before you summon a demon or something. I yeah, thought that was a possibility. The when demons you, speak Latin. Yeah. Well, so when you start saying the wrong stuff, you know, you never know how that's going to turn out. So you got to be careful. Demons definitely speak Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that, that could be helpful because we don't know what it sounded like. Mm, yeah, it's true. Yeah. If you could get one. I mean, if, 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 yeah, if they speak in the proper dialect. Yeah. I mean, um, you have to assume. Um, I mean, they're probably not going to be speaking ecclesial Latin with like a, a contemporary American accent. So, but who knows? Maybe, maybe they just speak English. They might have gone vernacular. Yeah, I don't they know. could be reformed. I don't know. Anyway, uh, one of Matt's good friends is the focus of the first half of our episode today. Um, Matt, do you want to say a few words about Mr. Ronald Haskins? Ronald Haskins. The welfare reform shithead. Did he die? He's not dead. He just yeah. retired. Okay, good. Yes. Let's, I want to make that very clear. I was, uh, uh, w- yeah, we would not do this uh, if, you know, for a passing episode. I would. Okay. Um, um, I would probably rein that in a little bit. I would. Okay. So he has, uh, Mr. Haskins. How many people did Ron Haskins kill? Okay. All right. Okay, folks. Okay. So uh, I mean, he, let's try to, let, you know? trying to take the wheel and get this back on the road here. Um, Did he, so, so what did I he? I guess I should get his biography pulled up. Yeah. What did he <laughs> retire from? Well, he retired from the Brookings Institution, oh, his his boy. long sinecure. Mm. Um, he... Uh, it's got to be tough to get the chief welfare hater gig at that institute. Well, he, he shared that with Isabel Sawhell, yeah. who I'm told is called Belle. Well, that's um, pretty. Yeah, you know, it's like Disney or whatever. Ding dong, Belle. Um, he was he was a big player in the House of Representatives when they were doing welfare reform. He was the the key staffer on the House who Ways was, and Means Committee. Who was committee. the president when that was Th- going? That on? was uh, Bill Clinton. Oh, uh, noticed noted uh, sexual abuser. Um, I heard that. Yeah, and so he was on the Ways and Means. He was like a big player you know as far as staff goes he was the big man yeah. on the hill you know we uh, we talked before about mr larry mead and supposedly his writings were influential who the fuck knows but this guy was he was in the guts 
pulling the levers, belly of the beast, deciding what it's going to be. Yeah. He wrote a book about this called Work Over Welfare, the inside story of the 1996 welfare reform law. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually should pull up, maybe it's in the sample chapter, because uh, I've read part of this. I can't believe I forgot about this. <laughs> but he writes at one point in this book, I don't know why, this is a, this is a book published by the Brookings Institution, mm. but you <laughs> you have to buy it. You, they won't let you, you know, they won't let you read the book online. What the, it's like, what the fuck it's is a it? PDF. You're I mean, a think tank. Like mm-hmm. what, if I ever, you know, tried to hide my think tank content, I would feel very embarrassed, but you yeah. can only read the one. Anyways, I've read part of this before in which he's kind of going through the play-by-play of this book. Uh-huh. And he's just like, I woke up in the morning and I was so goddamn pumped. Oh. We're gonna do this welfare reform. Like he was, like he was just, you know, Why? he was just talking about Why? how thrilled he was. What was his to do story? The welfare that... reform. I don't remember Ooh. exactly. It's do been you a remember long the time welfare songs? Yeah, welfare's temporary. It's not a way of life. <laughs> so Matt actually has tune and can can uh, is actually good musically. I'm, I'm not, not. I'm not actually. Your whistling uh, is really nice. Um, so here, you know, J Store. Maybe I, I, I could might pull be it talking, up on the side hub. Talking out my my bottom here. Probably Matt, pull it up on ha- the side What hub. if you took this book about uh, how welfare reform was done and you made a spec script for a limited prestige tv series <laughs> <laughs> that might work that actually. would work I, that would work i don't know how you would present it at this point if you would have to present it as as a kind of dark uh, yeah it should be like a dark comedy about dark these weird thing. people who um, become obsessed with getting single mothers to work at arby's but that was his whole that's his whole thing that's his whole, you know what I mean? Yeah. Other than that, he just kind of, he then left, you know, this was the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, he probably did shit before then. Mm-hmm. But after that, he was like, I was the welfare reform man. And he just kind of set up at Brookings for the rest of his All life. Right. And he's like, I've done my bit. I did my shit. And then like occasionally he'd publish a book or paper co-authored with Isabel Sawhill. Um, but the thing that I've had my run in with him over... <laughs> I mean, other than just like, what a just total sicko. Did you actually get this this uh, elderly gentleman to fight with you on the internet? No, no, I don't think he, I don't think he cares anything or knows anything about me. But I have spent a long time, and I remember doing this at Demos even back in the day, just going through everything that he writes and proving that it's wrong uh, as best as I can. And after he did the welfare reform shit and starved the poorest mothers and children in the country. Yeah, um, you were among those. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. You knocked off TANF, right? Well, well, it was AFDC at the time. Um, uh, aid for dependent families and children. A- yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing with AFDC is, you know, people don't stay on AFDC that long or TANF that long. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, so. this, is some, this is sort of a big myth. Yeah. It's like, oh, they just sit on that shit for years and years. It's like most people, you're on it for, you know, nine months, 10 months, whatever. And then you're off, you're off on to a new job. Not but if Ron Haskins has but anything to do with it. those are important months, yeah. you know, if shit can really go bad if you don't have anything for like 10 months. Nowadays, if you're in that situation, no worries. You can get some food stamps and some Medicaid. Mm. <laughs> That's it. 
you want mm. something other than food and the doctor i don't know what the fuck you and do maybe you should get a job uh, you're like well how can i get a job while i'm homeless <laughs> it's like get your ass up go apply to jobs while you're homeless and uh, your kids are living in a shelter. Yeah. <laughs> this is so fucked up. Yeah, yeah, that's what it would be. So uncivilized. Um, but after he did that, he was one of the, not the, not the only people, but he was one of the people who jumped on the success sequence bandwagon. As some oh. others have pointed out, like Sean Friendstead, friend of the pod, who I might have on at one point. This was suggested by Marshall Steinbaum, and he would actually be a very interesting person to have on. Um, for Does a he live in the city? We we just call it the city. Does he, he live in the district? Yeah, he lives here. In, um, in but district. I could have a, I could bring him on the phone or whatever. Uh, Anyways, um, mm-hmm. you know, COVID and whatnot. But uh, as he pointed out, it was you know as far as we can tell, Charles Murray was the first person to ever bring up the success sequence. So I don't know if he used that phrase. He was the one who was the first person that said. Hey, and I guess we haven't described the success sequence yet, but if yeah. you uh, get a high school degree and you get married before you have kids and you have a full-time job, your odds of being in poverty are 2% or yeah. something like that, right? He was the first one to really like push that line. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, Counterpoint, my dad pushed that line. Yeah, well, but I mean, you know, in the in the intellectual mm. world, he mm. was. I mean, this was a long time ago, like probably in the eighties or something like that. Like that that this has been found. But anyways, he's kind of receded from that discussion. He doesn't really talk about it too much anymore. But picking up the torch was Mr. Ron Haskins and Isabel Sawhill. They wrote a whole book premised on this bullshit, and they put out a whole number of papers. Brookings has been. This has been like Brookings' big. You know, they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Like that. This is like Brookings. We do success sequence. We're the success sequence people. And the problem with the success sequence um, is there are so many problems. With it, it. it almost feels but, like a like a like a Silicon Valley, like a proto Silicon Valley, like this one crazy trick, this hack. Yeah. Yeah. It's no like a poverty it, hack. It definitely is that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's definitely like backfilled, like, Hey, you could kind of teach people this yeah. and it, you know, it, it like, it's good fodder for like a Ben Shapiro book or something, mm. which it, he definitely does talk about. Oh this. yeah, of uh, course. He's like, even the liberals, even the, <laughs> well, Haskins was a Republican, I think. Oh. Um, but he kind of ingratiated himself, you know, definitely post Trump, he would be like a Jennifer Rubin type, not, not like deranged, like, but you know, I mean, like she, he would be every green tweet, he would be recommend, he would be, he, he, it would be okay. You know, he could come to the lib parties. He's a good, he's one of the good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, because he's not, he's not conservative on social issues. He just wants to crush the poor. So that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, always yeah, fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and he care, but he cares deeply about them. Believe me, he does. Um, but anyways, the thing with the success sequence, there are a number of things. One of the things that's interesting about it is Mm -hmm. you've got the Haskins and Sawhill success sequence, right? Capital S, capital S, Mm -hmm. um, not a Nazi thing. Um, and, but then you got other people who are like in the game. Yeah. And so the other big one who's, who's kind of, I almost kind of carried the torch forward because Sawhill and gang they've gone off into a different direction which we can get into in a minute 
But you've also got the Wilcox uh-huh. stuff and Wang. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And whatever. Who's that other guy? Nick or something? I don't know. There's like a little gang that, that yeah. still kind of pushes this. Yeah. And what's interesting is their success sequences are different. They're not the mm. same. Well, I mean, do they... Do they, they all use the same calculations, but they just, they're like, so this, you know, 5% poverty and this results in two. No, no, no. The rules of the success sequence are different. Oh, God. So you've got internal logic contradictions. Well, between... it, but it's interesting. And I noticed this a long time ago. I, I am, this was one of my obsessions for a while. I remember I'm, that. I am an yeah. absolute connoisseur. I'm a completist on the success sequence. And so I see, I see little subtleties yeah. where other people don't see them. You know yeah. what I mean? That's, you your, have, that's, that's what your people bring to the table. When you have the yeah. kind of, <laughs> the haystacks, you know. Mm-hmm. The Sawhill success sequence, they say it's three rules. It's actually five if you do a little reasoning and figure out, oh no, this one's a compound rule. Real heads, you know? no. Five rules. One, graduate high school. Okay. Two, get a full-time job. Okay. Three, get married before having children. Okay. Four, wait until at least age 21 to get married. Okay. Why not 22? Why not 20? Wait until at least age 21 to have children. Okay. Right? So high school, full-time job, get married, and don't get married or have kids until you're 21, Mm -hmm. right? At least. Wilcox. The Wilcox one only has three rules. Oh. Graduate high school. Check. Get a full-time job. Check. Get married before having children. So you can do this at any age. At any age. Why would that be? Think about this for a second. Why would you have a delay rule if it's not necessary? Because that's the upshot of the Wilcox gang. Right. Is he's like, it's not necessary. I can still get low poverty without it. Why is it included then? I wonder. So, so why t- is tell it us included? More. Well, the reason, and this is where you, this sort of thing gets tipped later, mm-hmm. okay? Wilcox and gang. Well, to cut the long story short, the success sequence is really just have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. At least as they tell it. You could tell other success sequence. I've played with this a lot, but like, it's having a full-time job that does pretty much the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Right? If, and I've showed this statistically. Like, if you just go in and you're like, let's just look at only people who have full-time jobs yep. and look at their poverty rate. It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> you know, like, you get it down to, like, 4% yeah. or 3%. And they're like, well, if you add these others, you get it to 2 And it's like, this is, this is meaningless. Right? So, what they do, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Is they throw full-time job in there mm-hmm. and then they add superfluous shit around it that is related to their cultural preferences. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yeah. So what's the difference here? Wilcox being uh, somewhat of a natalist, maybe, uh, I don't know what you want to call him. He's a, I don't mean that pejoratively, but he's a conservative, uh, religious, uh, he's got no interest in delay. Right. Right? He's, he's very much... Yeah. If you want to get married at 18 and have kids, like he'd be like, hell yes, thumbs up. Yeah. Right? He's cool with that because that's his orientation. Right, culturally. because uh, morally that, that sits fine with him. Perfect, right? Yeah. Which and is whatever. I don't care. Culturally. I got no problem with that. 
But Saul Hill and Haskins, which, you know, like I said, Haskins is a Republican, but not, you know what I mean? Not, uh, yeah, not well, that right, kind. right. He's not, not, he's not a, he's not a hick. Not that kind. Right? And Saul Hill is a Democrat. They're mm-hmm. very much into like, wait, 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 wait. And also, uh, you know, maybe stated more quietly, have less kids if you're poor. Right. Or maybe don't have any. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Maybe we wouldn't have to knock you off the welfare maybe rolls we if wouldn't you'd have stop to having kids. That's and like, you know, you read it and you look at it and you're like, I think that's I think that's what's going on here. Yeah. But they you can't say it. You can't you can't write that out, right? Mm-hmm. But then the suspicion was finally confirmed. Oh, how did that happen? After after many, many years of me having this suspicion, uh-huh. driven especially by this comparative thing, mm-hmm. in which you're like, that's interesting. Yes. Delay plays a really big part in this one, right. not in the other one. All the rules are meaningless except for full-time jobs. So, yeah. you know, it's basically it's just sort of like an insight into your brain. Right. Like, what do you think is important? What's kind of going on in that knocking around in that head of yours, you know, that's got nothing to do with poverty, but just sort of your, you know, what you're about. Yeah. And you're going to go, well, interesting. So we got a kind of natalist bent from yep. Wilcox. Uh, uh, marriage and having children is the cornerstone, not the capstone. Sure. Right. You have it up front and then you build your life instead of building your mm-hmm. life. And these guys are into delay. They're more on a kind of eugenic line a little bit, you know? Yeah. They're more on the kind of be sterile, (laughs) right? (laughs) Natalism versus sterility. That is the underlying cultural tension between these two vendors of the success sequence, right? Right. Well, and... Go ahead. uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, so it's... it's I mean, I guess I'll I'll pitch this question to you because uh, you you know you're the expert here on the success sequence. You're a success sequence completist. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's a situation where what you have are people who don't want the poor to have children or to have fewer children uh, because they're genuinely just bothered by their taxes being high, or do you think that they feel like kind of roach like? poverty is like a blight on society and they really are on that eugenic track oh who knows for any given person where they are on it but if i could yeah confirm that was a little suspicion i had mm-hmm. that suspicion was fully confirmed when not too long ago maybe two years ago three years ago i guess maybe more like four or five but mm-hmm. um after pushing the success sequence stuff for decades, books, articles, whatever, Saul Hill comes out with her book, her new book. She's like 80 at this point. Like, come on, like, give it a break. God. And her new book is, all right, folks, you know all that shit I've been telling you for 20 years? Yeah. Oh, we got to get people to, you know, we can't have unmarried births and, you know, all that shit. Yeah. Uh, wasting our time. Whoa. What you got to do is you got to get free IUDs for poor women. Just give them all IUDs. That's what. That's how we're going to fight poverty. These right? will be the intrauterine devices. Yes. Free, long-acting, reversible contraceptive for, for only poor women. 
specifically to fight poverty. Yeah, so she not, was going to... Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not a like, oh, I'm for, you know, I'm for contraception and contraception access, like, you know, yeah. Obamacare and all those fights around that kind of stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> right, it's not no, like, uh, let's give people the pill if they want it, you know, because it's their sexual health. Yes, 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 right. It, it it's has nothing to do with feminism. IUDs as has, well. It has nothing to do with feminism. Yes, yes, that's a good uh, point to emphasize. Nothing to do with sort of feminism or women's rights or even just like, hey, this would be... Uh, uh, you know, something that should be provided universally along with healthcare right. or something like that. It was IUDs for poor women because they have too many poor babies and that's causing too much poverty in society. And yes, the IUD in particular is important because it's a long acting reversible contraceptive. We can't give them the pill because they'll forget to take it. Or they won't and, or they'll stop when they want. Or they'll stop or they'll be like, oh, uh, I kind of am interested in getting pregnant now. I'm just going to stop taking the pill. Now to tip pill. you off about the IUD, that takes a professional to remove. Yes. So that's a doctor's appointment. So you got to go to the doctor. You have to pay for the you visit. You got to pay. There's a big barrier to getting it removed. Right. Which will therefore make it harder for you to impulsively say, oh, I'm I'm just going to, I'm ready. Right. So you it's know? not going as uh, far as saying poor women should be sterilized for free, but it's it's coming it up. It goes right up to the line yeah. of acceptability. And it is, um, but, you know, if you know the full context yeah. of going from the success sequence, if you know what she's trying to advocate and why, what she's interested in, it, it's like, come on, lady. Yeah. Like, this is not about empowering it. It's literally just like, poor poor women just they have too many kids. I've hated. And it's like, a Jonathan Swift for real. It is. It's legit. Yeah. And it was very funny when her book came out. I remember Catherine Rampell at the Post had an article that was like, um, a new way to fight poverty, but, uh, you know, it won't make, uh, you know, whatever, such and such happy, you know. Um, and it just, you read it and it's just like, this is sick. <laughs> um, and I actually wrote a response in the LA Times. I remember and that. And it pissed some people off. That's actually um, when people say that you're a trad calf and then they have to go try to dredge something up. That's what they that's what they point to. Yeah, well, the article doesn't really um but yeah. well the, the upshot of my LA Times article is like, "Hey, uh, you know, if you create a regime where um it's possible for someone w- in which the regime is we're going to give you a free IUD if you, you know, if you want to not have kids or whatever, right? <laughs> yes. uh, if you do want to have kids, we're not going to give you anything. It's like, that's not, you know, that's not really empowering someone to make decisions about yeah, that does, I mean, uh, family about formation that. and so on, right? Quite clearly a thumb on the scale in free IUD Fuck you if you have kids. I uh, can't. I can't support this. Nothing for you. No child care. No paid leave. No child allowance. Yeah. N- not nothing. Nothing for you if you have the kid. But free if you want to not have it. We'll take care of that for you. Um. Anyways, that's that was a sicko thing. And and Ron, you know, Ron's been signed on to that shit. And you know, the thing that they have in common is the commitment to the belief that uh, the way to fight poverty is definitely not the, definitely do not increase welfare benefits no. and definitely do not tax the rich. The, 
whoa, definitely not those things. It's certainly got to be something else, especially around like individual behavior and, and, and getting married and waiting and so on. That's ultimately with the, you know, the meme with the, with the black arm and the white arm and their, their, <laughs> you know, clutching hands. Yeah, and then yeah. on the one hand, you've got Wilcox, the natalist, and you've got Haskins and Sawhill, the uh, uh, st- sterilist uh-huh. <laughs> slash eugenicist. And, and they, they clutch hands and say, no welfare, do not, no expansion no, of the welfare no. state, do not raise tax on the rich. That's where they all come together in agreement. And that's like fundamentally what it is, right? The whole game for a long time, and it's still kind of the case to some degree in even the liberal think tank world was, how do you reduce poverty without expanding the welfare state? Right. That's really what it was. I mean, unstated, but that's what it was. Yeah. If welfare is not an option, what the fuck are we going to do? And you got all sorts of stuff. You got uh, education reform. Yeah. Out of that. Let's vote that that'll be our silver Charter bullet. They'll school, be they'll yeah. become their human capital. My God, it'll be through the roof. And and then they'll get better jobs, their factor incomes will increase, and then and then we won't have the poverty issue. Um, or, you know, other stuff like that. Yeah. Right? There was a, a variety of things that kind of fell into that category. Yeah. Um and, and this is sort of one of the marriage promotion. Yeah. Well, if they're married, then you know. And you know, just like that was sick. That was that was a wasted career, a pointless career. If you want to know how to get child poverty down, I got an idea. Why don't you go to the countries where the child poverty rate is the lowest in the world, aka Denmark, Finland. See what they do. And the answer is, of course, the family fun pack. Clap, now wait a clap, minute. Clap, wait clap. a minute. Aren't those countries that you just mentioned countries where there are mainly? Well, considering the population, a small number of people. It doesn't matter. The size of population doesn't matter. But the, mm, what if the word I used was homogenous? They're not homogenous. That's, oh, that's a myth. Mm, but also, okay. again, it doesn't matter, except insofar as, you know, as a motivational basis, they, the reason they don't want to cut child poverty is because they're racist. And, I mean, that might be the case, yeah. um, you know. Uh, or society is, but like the solutions work. Right. Like if you <laughs> if you give free child care, child allowance, free health care, the you know generous paid leave, all this shit's available. If you gave that poverty rate down, 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 without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt, there's no, you know. I, I've never, you know, how could you, what would be the dynamic reaction that would offset the impact of giving every parent $300 a month and taking care of their childcare bills and make and taking care of the healthcare bills and giving the kid free school. What's the offset on that? Yeah. Well, they're going to, if you do that, they'll reduce their, uh, their earnings by an equivalent amount and no poverty. Like, no, that's fucking crazy. Of course it's going to work. Um, There's that, that was an amazing kind of like uh dance there. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, like I said, the success sequence was bad. The whole thing is about full-time work. And also, if you really wanted to do success sequence, well, I'll say a number, a few things very quickly before we move on. One, look at the rules of the success sequence. One of them is graduate high school. Let's go back in history. Let's go back to 1940. Ooh. Only 25% of Americans had 
uh, above the age of 25 had a high school degree okay. in 1940. All right. Even going back into, you know, like the 60s. Yep. Even back to the 60s, it was only half. So what is this? What I mean, what kind of fundamental rule of reality have you discovered that says the solution of poverty is high school degree, which only has existed in significant quantity, like for a few decades? That's the that's the that's the virtuous life because that's really what's going on because full time job does the whole thing. The other elements are their sense of a virtuous life, right? Pretty yeah. much, and. The high school degree does not exist as a majority thing until like the the 60s. Right. So what, what people just shit before the 60s? Same thing with delay. Yeah. Cuz Haskins and and Sawyer were the delay ones. Yeah. You got to wait till 21. You got to wait till 21. If you go back to 1970, uh-huh. The average age at first birth was 21.4, which means Ooh. that nearly half of births were occurring of first births were occurring before 21 so what do we yeah those people suck those people did not know how to live it's like the idea of getting a high school degree Mm -hmm. and waiting until after 21 to have kids that is something that has only been like a mainstream way of living for a few decades and it's basically just it's bourgeois bullshit is what it is. And because if you think like, what will the success sequence be 20, 30 years from now? It's going to be college degree, delay until age 30. Because that's going to be their sense of like how you live life. That's where we are now or, or closely like moving in yeah. on for like, that's going to be the thing. Right, right. And because, and, and we, you know, that would seem absurd if you suggested it now, but their success sequence would seem absurd to someone to the 50s. If you went to the 50s and you're like, what you got to do is you can't have kids till 21 <laughs> and you got to graduate high school. It's like, yeah. shit, I don't know. Most of the people don't do that. And they're not mostly poor, at least defined in a you know relative sense. Um, so yeah. And then the last thing I'll say about this is if you really were serious about the success sequence, the very obvious answer is nothing about marriage or anything like that it's just only live in a house with full-time workers yeah so you could you could like uh because it's if you're a full-time worker even if you're making the minimum wage you're going to be above the poverty line based on the federal statistics and the statistics they use for this these data this data which means the only way you can be poor is if either you do not work full-time or you're living with people who don't work full-time such as kids, such as disabled uh, relatives, such as you know elderly relatives who may not have a pension or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that you can be poor. So make sure you work full-time and make sure no one who doesn't work full-time is in your house and just dump them off onto other people, right? Because <laughs> I mean, that's essentially how, how it would work. Now those other people are real fucked because now they got it. Yeah, know, like elderly uh, people, disabled people, and children. Well, yeah, and then whoever takes them in, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, what? But, if it's like the ideal situation is actually like a polycule, where like uh, several adults with no children who yes. all work full time, able-bodied, working-age, full-time adults, yeah. just just stack them up, and that's going to be your best situation. So if we got like five other people in this marriage, yes, and 
offloaded the kids. Yeah. The kids are dead weight. Dead weight. They, yeah. they, they increase don't go to the work. amount of money you need and they don't yeah. bring any money in. Yeah. And that just gets to the broader point. And one day, you know, I've made it over and over again that, you know, poverty is driven by people who don't work. And if you really want to eradicate it, you need to provide a welfare state that takes care of people who don't work, yeah. no matter how they are distributed across households. Take care of every kid. And you will, child poverty will be low. Take care of every unemployed person and adult poverty will be low, right? Take care, you know, that's all you got to do. And people who do this shit, they basically just dance around that. Yeah. And they, they what they do is they kind of, by choosing these criteria, what they, they're able to kind of say, the people who don't follow this, what they're, they're kind of in a reverse way, selecting people who are, you know, single mothers who have you know, two kids or three kids or something like that. That's like what right. their basket of non-followers mostly looks like. And it's like, yeah, of course. One adult is not going to support, one worker is not going to support two, three kids. Right. Even two workers are going to struggle to support two, three kids. Yeah. And if you get married, that doesn't necessarily mean the other person is a worker. Right, right. You could have they a, could be you know, a disabled person. They could be a caregiver. It could be. Well, there are also so, significant numbers of, uh, you know, this is getting a little bit outside but, the, you know, the, the the categories that you maintain. Um, but you know, there are significant numbers of, uh, or I should say, there are significant enclaves in the United States where having a stay-at-home parent is culturally uh, desirable. I guess you might say so. Mm-hmm. This assumption that you 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 know there absolutely must be uh, two full time workers, uh, and until you can get to that point, you just need an IUD or yeah. whatever. That that's that's not going to work for a lot of people. Well, that's the interesting thing because they don't ever say the other person has to work full time, but it is sort of an interesting thing because the success sequence is sort of an individual sequence. Yes. So well, it's like yes. you have to work full time. Mm-hmm. But okay, so if the other person is also following the success sequence, then I guess they would also work full time. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> but like that's not that's not, you know, when they're like selecting yes. their groups to figure out the poverty rate. Yeah. They're not making sure all the adults in the household yeah. follow the success sequence. Yeah. They're just looking at the one adult. It, like it, the individual. Yeah, like it, that's how they're <laughs> they're weighting it on that individual. It and is, if that individual <laughs> followed it. You see what I'm saying? You should make, um, um, to highlight this, I, I just have a lot of suggestions for you this episode. Okay, yeah. You, you should make the failure sequence and just point out that it's like having children. And, yeah, uh, no, I have. I yeah. mean, I, I've shown that, you know, yeah. like... You could do like a for satirical any, what paper. I, what I did at Demos back in the day is I took any given number, any given family size, mm-hmm. okay? And then you could see how many people are working in that family, Mm-hmm. size so if you have let's take all the families that only have two people in them mm-hmm. okay and that creates three possibilities mm-hmm. either none of them are working both of them are working or you have one worker and one non-worker mm-hmm. right so you have zero workers one worker and two workers and you could just sort of graph that out and you could say what's the poverty rate mm-hmm. for two person families based on whether you have zero workers one workers or two workers and of course it's just a straight slope down right Mm -hmm. the families that if you the families with the two workers they have the lowest poverty the ones with the one workers they have higher poverty the ones with the zero workers they have even higher and then you could do that with three worker families right and say do they have are not three worker but three person families Mm -hmm. right are all three people working 
Are only two? Is only one? Or is zero? It's the same thing. If they're all working, the poverty is the lowest. If it's two, and you could do that for any number of family size, and it works like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's base, That's the whole story. The whole story is just what percent of the people in your family are receiving market labor. That's the whole story. If there's no welfare state, if there's a welfare state, then it doesn't matter. You can have any composition you want, mm-hmm. right? You can have a double income, no income, you know, no, no kid family, or you could have, uh, you know, uh, two parents with seven kids and it, it all shuffles out because the welfare state takes care of it, mm-hmm. right? It takes based on how much you earn and it gives out based on how many dependents are in your family yeah. defined both as kids and disabled people and mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, there's a, you know, fuck Ron Haskins and fuck the success sequence. And you know, his career was awful. He did horrible, horrible things. And, you know, there will be a, a variety of, you know, send-offs about this great serious man. He's one of the great ghouls of the last 20, 30 years. Just a, just a pure sicko. And I'm sure he's great at parties and whatever, but he's a sicko. And, you know, I'm glad to see him go. I wish Saul Hill would retire as well. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what her next deranged book is going to be if she's working on one. Do you but think they're going to draw Social Security? Or I'd wish would, they'd would all that go be out. Deadbeat? They'll probably get it. No, it's okay. It's okay, of course. If you, if you get the old age pension, that's fine. It's just we definitely can't have support for single mothers. That's fucking beyond the pale. Um, but old age pension, that's cool. No it's really problem. difficult for me to try to... Like uh, reverse engineer the mindset that gets people there. <laughs> it's like I don't know. I would say I get it. They they hate the you know they hate the poor. Like I, I like mean, you theorize it's not about their taxes. It's not about feeling like they're taking care of their lessers. It's like it's not even like a misplaced, badly demented form of uh, I guess paternalism. You're you're thinking like no, they just they wish there were less of these people. Yeah, yeah. I mean they hate they they, they like they don't. They don't like the lower class kind of as it's conceived because as you point out, elderly people before Social Security and if you took Social Security away, mm-hmm. they're po- way poor. Like like more than half of them would probably live in poverty if we didn't have Social Security old age pension. Mm-hmm. As it is, very few live in poverty, um, especially if you can correct some of the data which the census has done and some of its reports. Very few old people live in poverty because of the transfer system. But like they don't, that doesn't strike them as the lower class, yeah, right? Because like, well, that person, you know, he may worked all his life. He was middle class. It's just he didn't have any savings or any way to like sustain himself in old age. Because you know, you might live fifteen, twenty years in old age. You run out of money. Like, there's sympathy there, right? They don't think that person is bad. What they don't like is the teen mom. Or you know what I mean? Yeah. People that they think that's the ones that they went after. Yeah, I remember. Uh, they didn't go after old age pension. My dad uh, or disability pension. My dad's a an incredible anti welfare mm-hmm. person, and many many times over our years together, uh, we have we've discussed uh, welfare policy with my dad. Another thing about my dad is he's an expert on welfare policy. Uh, in his in his view, mm-hmm. um, kind of the way that like Bill O'Reilly is an expert on how historical figures are killed. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. his field. Him and Martin Duggan. Yeah. That's his, I think uh, that, that might be uh, Daddy and I shot the bear. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, my dad's view was always uh, kind of like, I, 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 I want to say like kind of grounded in, in like resentment. Absolutely. That's what I mean by hate, I guess. Yeah, they resent them. So it's this feeling that like I am funding some libertines uh like lifestyle of sex and drugs and like pure uh you know satanic uh pleasure seeking in abandon of all morality and and i'm i'm getting taxed for like so i cannot buy a four-wheeler right now Mm, because i am instead financing some some bad person's bad lifestyle is it is it that kind of resentment i mean yeah the the part where they're like uh this is costing me money that is backfilled yeah because aftc costs nothing yeah i mean just cost absolutely nothing you know (laughs) like i mean i pulled this up at some point like less than one percent of gdp you know what i mean like like the military is, you know, 10, 15 times as large or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you know, it, it, it couldn't have been that they're like, man, this is really taking it, you know what I mean? Like, and actually reasoned it out and looking at the numbers. That's just like, that comes downstream from like, I hate this. I hate these people. And obviously it's racialized big time, especially with mm-hmm. welfare. I mean, you saw so much shit. I mean, uh, there was this piece, Joe Klein, he did in early 90s or whatever, in which literally the piece is, David Duke is right about welfare. Oh, no, you hate to see that. And he's like, it sucks, you know, that he's kind of making it toxic because now everyone's like, that's a right supremacist thing, but he's fucking right. And I wish, you know, Mm. I hope people have the courage to look beyond uh, the fact that David Duke is really big on this. And and in the piece, he's like, and I think there is a man who does have that courage. Uh That gentleman... William Jefferson no, Clinton. Oh God! Uh, he wrote that piece. I think it was in uh, New York Magazine, um, like in the late eighties. Um, I've read it multiple times. It's shocking, and uh, there's pictures of David Duke in the article. It's very much like you got to give, you got to give this one to David. He definitely <laughs> is right about those. Hmm. Poor black if, uh, single mothers. I have revised my previous tweet. You do not, under any circumstances, have to hand it to him. <laughs> but yeah, there's that, and just general. Well, my my dad used to go into. Uh, do you remember? Uh, like I was home from college one year, and he was he was like in this rut for a while on on welfare. Uh, yeah, he frequently, he frequently, uh, he which would, is weird because I don't interact too much, but it is a common topic. And um, so he, I was home from college or something, and he he always begins with like, I just want to ask you something. Uh-huh. As a liberal, I'm like, I'm not a liberal, but like you know, that line of work, that line only holds them off so far, yeah. where, where you're essentially playing with them. Um, and, and then he'd be like, Listen, uh, how about this? If a if a woman, you know gets knocked up and has a baby and she can't make enough money to take care of the baby, the state will take the baby and then sterilize her. And that's the only way she can receive welfare. She can do all the drugs she wants if she wants to be sterilized. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I was like, 
I think that's kind of eugenic. You know, it seems you could tell that one of the things that he struggles with is he knows on some base level, even though he, you know, there's a kind of resentment and, and hatred stewing. He knows on some level it's not right to starve children. Yeah, well, I, I, he's, like he, so he what so what he wants to do ideally is he, is he's like I want to I want the child to be cared for, but I want the adult to die. Like that would be ideal. <laughs> and I mean, I don't want to kill the adult, but I really would like to to starve them to death, like no money, nothing and just like you know, then they'll have to figure well, out what to make. Th- this is and so that's the solution is like, right. well, that's what, you know, the problem is that they're this, they're in the same unit. You right. can't starve the adult without starving the kid because they live together and they're in a unified resource unit. And, oh, so th- okay, this, here's what this, I'll do. Break the unit up, get yeah. the kid out of there, and then we can really turn the screws on that lady and just just, just try to her. just put her straight into exile-type death from exposure. So I was like, uh, you, know, I, you know, so you think your solution of free sterilizations uh welfare for single mothers who agree to these sterilizations and huge orphanages is going to be cheaper yeah. than just no. like giving family units money and like again you you're right you the problem he was having is you can't just like give a child a debit card and be like all right I'm setting you up in an apartment no yeah like you know you can't just give a child money directly the the food and the shelter and the clothes and everything comes to a child through the the adult so you have to give money to this parent who you do view my dad does view as like morally culpable in this whole situation right uh and the the point i would always try to make is like look you know we all of us have feet of clay like we're all sinners some people's sins are more obvious or some people need more help Right. But, you know, really, you, you should be grateful that, like, you're doing well and, like, kind of keep your eyes on your own paper, man. And like, Well, and, and remember, it's not as if we're talking about, uh, oh, these are poor mothers who don't work, right? right. In some of the cases, it, it, that is the case. But, like, mo- you know, most of the impoverished, like, single mothers, like, they're working, you don't make enough wage. Right. And that has always been a very perverse because like that's what he's upset about because mm-hmm. he, he's not just like they don't work. They shouldn't have kids if they don't work. Mm-hmm. It's also they shouldn't have kids if the they wa- don't make wa- enough money. Yes, yep. If the wage structure of our economy is such that even if you work full time, you can't afford to have a family too bad. And it's like, so you're saying essentially that, again, given the wage structure of the economy, right, where, you know, we have the, you know, 100 percentiles and the bottom 20 yes. percent, like literally one fifth of every generation shouldn't have kids because we're not allowed to do any kind of like that. And it's like, that's real sick. And I mean, it makes sense, right? It's like... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure you'd get some... What uh, a great servant class for you. And I used to think about this, obviously, in the context of, of, of some of my own family members who were young. Um, and like, oh, you just want this person to... Yeah. You don't want this person to have kids. She works full time. You want her to serve you drinks and dinner. And then go home and wake up and do it again. Yeah. Until she dies. Right. That's what you want. You want a little a little slave. 
Right, 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 right. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that there there is obviously a you know a structural element here, where a certain kind of economy actually thrives on. And we've discussed this before, but like isolated, sure. atomized people with no obligations, no relationships, who can be driving Uber at three forty five a.m. because they're the only person in their life. Well, that, and that's that's by the way, that is the ultimate upshot of. The Sawhill IUD utopia mm. is the bottom Great. 10, 15 percent of women right. will uh, they'll they will they will do your work. Hell, maybe they raise your kids. Right. But they can't. They won't have kids of their own. Right. Because they'll never make enough yeah, money because yeah, it'll, their wages never, are not high enough. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> they'll, they'll never get to that point where the wages would permit. Right. Uh, and so the thing I always ask as a Christian socialist is like, do you think that the market as construed ought to be making those kinds of calls? The no. market ought to get to decide who no. gets to have children? The f- that's And that's, again, the family fun pack always goes back to the family fun always pack. Always goes back to the family fun pack. Because what does the family fun pack do? Clap, it cl- it oh. socializes the costs of the entire population of children. It says, we're going to bring this. We know we got kids. We got some 76 million kids in the U.S. And they need certain things. They need health care. They need education. They're going to need child care. They're going to need, you know, their par- they're going to need their parent to be them f- there for the first few months to take care of them. They're going to need uh, food at school. They're going to need a number of things. We, all of the working people in this country who produce what we produce, we will come together collectively and we'll make sure they're all taken care of. Mm-hmm. So all you got to do is make sure that you're making enough wage for yourself. And then other than that, the child costs, we're going to take that on as a, yeah. as, a, as, a as a society in solidarity with one another. Our children are taken care of collectively together. Not in a, in a, you know, <laughs> in a, in a uh, dystopian sense, yeah. like you, you take care of your own kids, but in terms of the material situation, yeah. we, we'll take care of that collectively and then we're good to go. That solves all these problems. Yeah. But if you're not willing to do that, yeah, now you're stuck in a really difficult situation in which you're waver between saying, between getting pissed <laughs> that the bottom fifth of women dare to have children. Yeah. Or saying they shouldn't have them and we need to come up with ways to make sure they don't have them. Right. And they should just, they should just work and never start families and, and, you know, bring me my, bring me my cocktails. That, you know, that uh, form of social engineering, which I refer to it as, um, because it is, right, to, to try to use the threat of imminent poverty intentionally to shape the decisions people make about how they live their lives, right? To, to force them to be more moral people. Like, now you're responsible, right? Like, the language of welfare reform, and this is what I find so remarkable looking back on it, was was not a language of pragmatism. It was a language of morality, mm-hmm. right? From, um, you know, dependency and deadbeats, Mm-hmm. to a uh, responsible uh independent Americans right i mean it was it was language like that 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of it, interesting, as you reminded us in 2016, came out of Hillary mm-hmm. at the time. Yes, Hillary uh, to referred to welfare mothers as deadbeats. Right. Straight up, use that word. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is why I um, counsel the left, left liberals against getting caught up in this sense that it's a <laughs> a good and permissible thing to uh, discipline people morally by using poverty, right? And I, I think I sent you a tweet the other day where someone, a liberal, was explicitly making this uh, this argument, and he he was referring to those two like um, suburban St. Louis people who like came out like the. The dude was in his little dockers and his pink polo tucked in. Yeah, the gun, the gun people. The gun people. He had like a big AK and she had like a little 32. Yeah. <laughs> like someone, I think Carl Bayer pointed out, it looked just like a Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> it was really, really ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and he was like, fuck it. I want their names right now. I want them to never be able to work again. It's time to use capitalism as the weapon it was intended to be. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I, I have a really hard time getting behind the notion that capitalism uh and its privations ought to be used to to make people be better morally yeah, to, well, to render punishment these people are clearly multimillionaires. i don't know how much you're going to be able to use anything against them in the labor no, market they, no i think they'll be okay these are um, like uh these are like those lawyers that bring home like 20 million dollar fees from class action suits and stuff i mean you could tell by their house like it's yeah their it's house too, um looks like shit too long too too far gone to discipline them in the labor market they are still working presumably but uh how do you not make, not required like, to <laughs> I, I mean this was something that i was always amused by growing up because there were many such rich people that the media has a blind spot except for danny mcbride of the righteous gemstones and eastbound and down, uh, where it comes to like extremely rich non-elites. Yeah. Like, so the media, it, it sees rich people and it immediately assumes like, oh, well, they're also cultural elites because in many cases that's true. They're like, you know, artists, creators, um, venture capitals, Silicon Valley dudes, yeah, yeah. and like all of those people. They're thinking of people who go through a conventional track in which they get a very high education and then go into business or something like that. Right. Or they, you know, right, they they get a great education and they're like the, you know, the guy who hosts the Rhodes Scholarship interviews at his brownstone in Beacon Hill in the Boston yeah. region every year. And they so, fit into that culture. Right. And so they're super and rich so and they, or, you know, and they're like the lobbyists right. and Georgetown senators, et cetera, people who are cultural elites as well as class elites. They have a lot of money and they control capital. And also they have the right ideas about everything. Mm-hmm. But there is this really funny subpopulation uh we saw it frequently growing up in the south of rich people who are not part of culture creation there are other ways to get rich athletes are an obvious example entertainers to some degree and you definitely do see some entertainers who are not you Mm -hmm. know like cardi b or something like that and Mm -hmm. and those you know types um and in Texas, you have oil people who sometimes have gotten rich and are not exactly like normal rich people. So, so yeah. And I've in this case, these are lawyers. Personal and so injury they, lawyers. So they probably yeah. did go through. But yeah, that's right. 
I don't know if the it maybe it is personal injury, but you, do, you in that class action world where you do find a, some people who get really rich and are still kind of like wild and weird, because that's not like that's not the normal path. Yeah, if you want to do like if you want to be like a super rich lawyer, the normal mm-hmm. path is go into big law and become like a low level associate, make 180 a year and eventually you could become partner and make millions of dollars a year or something like that. That's like the conventional path. That's where you would probably find more conventional cultural elites or whatever. It's kind of a kind of a wild west cowboy type thing to go out and take contingency cases <laughs> and like, you know what I mean? Yes, uh it's a it's a very, you know, but the, these people who uh, you know, of whom we saw a new some um, growing up end up having like taste that's wildly different than uh, the elite culture makers. And so like uh, it, this is almost the category Trump falls into of like Absolutely. an extremely rich guy who's not a cultural elite. Absolutely. And the ta- their taste is just got off. Well, he, he, yeah, he's trying to ape something. In their case, it's a little bit hard to understand because they it if you read the articles about them in their house they, it's like an old house and so mm-hmm. it's kind of like they kind of they restored it to look like the fucking sistine chapel whatever i mean the the implication was at one point that's what it looked like There's, and it kind of become it, run down if any house built like that originally looked like that in the united states it's because it was already a shitty gauche piece of garbage yeah. that well, people were aping in 1890. Yeah, and then obviously the desire to go in there and live in it, and like you know, there's something a little off kilter about it. All the like it. Tudor-looking furniture and like uh, the the Michelangelo ripoffs on the ceiling. It, it's, it's it's really is something is something to behold. Anyway, that was just a little side note uh, for the listeners there of a, of a group of people that I find really interesting and undercovered. Uh, let's say in media under considered uh except by danny mcbride who's an absolute savant of this type of person yeah uh, he, he understands well, he did a sports guy he did a sports guy did, and then he did a mega church pastor yeah, and they both become rich in in weird ways yes. that are not through elite networks and then they retain their their close you know relationships with people who are not part of the cultural elite even though they might have aspirations like that anyway uh goodbye uh, to Mr. Haskins. Yeah. Uh, so long. So long. Have a good retirement. Um, yeah, be well. We will, we are going to do another episode. We are. And I think like we'll release this on f- Thursday slash Friday and then maybe we can release the other one on Monday. You never know. Does that make sense? And it'll, it'll be answering the, the, the questions. The autism questions. Yeah. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Bye. Bye.